Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down has been broken by Chris Jericho. All right, get ready. Here we go. The People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride.
right, that was tonight. New Fozzie from Do You Want to Start a War? Featuring Michael Starr from Steel Panther. Talk is Jericho alumni. Wanted to kick it off with some rock and roll because I got one of the biggest rock stars of all time. One of the greatest guitar players. Iconic. Influential. Hard to forget. He's my friend. He's the man in the top hat. He's a diehard movie fan. He's a fellow amateur paleontologist. He's Slash. And he's here this week and on Friday on Talk is Jericho. I met up with him a few days before Halloween in Los Angeles. I went and hung out with him at his house for a few hours. What a great place he has right up there in Los Angeles in the Hollywood Hills. Conversation was amazing. Covered so much stuff. I had to turn it into two episodes. Part one is today. Part two is on Friday. You are going to love this. It's an interview that Slash said is one of his favorites that he's ever done, ever. How many interviews has Slash done? He says this is one of his favorites. I take that as a huge compliment. But before we get to Slash, I want to thank you for listening. I know you got hundreds, probably even thousands of podcasts to schwaz from. And I appreciate the fact you schwaz mine. And I also appreciate the fact that you use my links every time you shop at Amazon. Whoever does that, I really, really appreciate it. It's the easiest way to support me and support this show. Don't forget, Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple of buckolas to the show to help us cover production costs for all the wonderful things that we bring to you for free for twice a week. I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada A. I want you to go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon. You can buy a computer, big screen. You can get an iPhone 6. You can buy a portable studio like the one I used to take the Slash's place. You can uh, get the new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? Or my new book, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, the best-selling third installment of Jericho's Life. If you haven't checked it out yet, what are you waiting for? You also might want to pick up World on Fire, the new album from Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Definitely his best work. We talk all about it on the Slash episodes today and on Friday. But listen, here's the truth about my Amazon links. Buy whatever you want. Okay, you're going to have to go shopping. You're going to have to buy something, especially now. Holidays are coming uh, just around the bend. Holidays are coming around the bend. You can buy whatever you want for your family, for your friends, for your loved ones. And remember, go to Amazon through my link. It's not going to cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or charges. So if you happen to be doing some Amazon shopping, you can help out this show in the process and help me out in the process. Do me a solid as I do you a solid twice a week. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page then hit the talk is jericho button bookmark it so you can get to those links in one easy click sounds good is it a deal oh yeah all right make it all right it's all good okay cinder block party with texas hippie coalition and shaman's harvest although i say shaman's harvest just like in canada you say drama nirvana uh, ant here it's drama nirvana aunt pasta pasta shamans shamans so you can see it's a little bit of a canadian accent but it's the center block party with shamans harvest texas hippie coalition and fozzy starting tomorrow thursday at the machine shop in flint michigan it's going to be a huge show tickets selling really really fast we love playing the machine shop last year with uh, with saxon so we are coming to tear it up you guys know what to expect it is going to be a party it's going to be the funnest concert of the summer funnest concert of the spring funnest concert of the fall funnest concert of the winter the funnest concert of the year is what i'm getting at uh, we're going to be in steger illinois on friday minneapolis at mill city 
City Nights on Saturday, Sunday in Des Moines, Iowa at Woolies, Monday, November 24th at Pops in St. Louis. We love playing at Pops. Always have great shows there. We expect to see everybody there. Wednesday the 26th in Kenosha, Wisconsin at the Brat Shop. That's going to be for the Turkey Baster Bash at the Brat Shop. And we're playing with Jackal on that night as well as Texas and as well as Shamans, Shamans, however you want to pronounce it. Friday the 28th, the day after Thanksgiving, Joplin, Missouri. So many other great shows coming up. All the dates and other ones that I've mentioned and haven't mentioned at FozzyRock.com. This leg of the tour wraps up December 12th in Tampa, Florida. And then in March... We're going overseas for all of our fine friends in the UK, Ireland, also in Germany and Switzerland. So many great shows coming up. We're going to be doing that with the Dirty Youth starting March 4th in Belfast, Ireland, Cork, Dublin, hitting the rest of the UK, Manchester, Glasgow, London, Bristol, Brighton, Exeter. So many shows, plus uh, Munich, Mannheim, Bochum, uh, Paris is in there. We've got a Switzerland show. If you are in any of these areas, any of these countries, any of these cities, go to FozzyRock.com to get all ticket information, show information, and VIP tickets. We have one of the best VIP experiences that you'll ever have. I guarantee you will love it. You won't be disappointed if you do the VIP package, I promise. It's funny. I went to the, uh, the KISS shows in Las Vegas on the 7th and 8th for my birthday, which was an amazing time. Uh, I got to meet Paul Stanley, hang out with him, my uh, all-time hero in life. And uh, also got to see the, the, the KISS VIP experience, which was crazy. What they do is an acoustic set. There's like, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. They pay, I think it's like $1,500 a, a pop to go meet Kiss and see them. You take a picture with them in all their regalia, all their makeup. But earlier in the day, you get to watch them do an acoustic set. And they go down out there with no set list know nothing and just play, which is great because they're messing around, trying songs they don't really know. They did Domino kind of three quarters of the way through. They tried She's So European, which didn't work very well. And they knew it, which is fun. But they also played Plaster Caster and got to choose Beth. Uh, they did uh, Love Her All I Can, which was my request. They said, Chris Jericho, I have any requests? And I said, I want you. And Paul said, you can't request something that's going to suck. So then I said, Love Her All I Can. And they played that. Had a great time hanging out uh, with with Gene and Paul and Eric and Tommy. Great band. If you get a chance to see Kiss in Vegas, I think they've only got a few shows left. Go. And if you get a chance to see them, I know they're going to be in Japan. And they they, they never stop touring. They are the almighty Kiss. Sound great. The set list is amazing. Go see Kiss. And then the next day on November 9th, which was technically my birthday, everyone's like, did you have a good birthday? Well, I was on a, a flight. I flew to uh, the UK, I flew to London, then got in a car and drove to Bournemouth and started my very short tour with the WWE. I worked Bournemouth, Liverpool, Newcastle, Glasgow, Braunschweig, and Frankfurt and had just a, a gas, man. I had a great time, worked with Bray Wyatt in the main events every night, <laughs> working on top Kizid, People hanging from the rafters. Not quite. Not all the shows were sold out, but they were all close to it. And I believe that Glasgow sold out and Frankfurt sold out for sure. Liverpool was fun. Got to do uh, highlight reel with Stephanie and Triple H. But they cut out a couple of my bits, and I want to say those bits. What I, what I said to them, the concept of it was that I was going to be uh, having them on so they could we could talk about Survivor Series, which is this Sunday. Go check it out on the network, which I believe is free this month. 
And my, my, my point was that, you know, when Stephanie and Hunter lose, the authority is out of power. And who's going to take over the WWE when they're done? And what I said was, you know, I could run the WWE and people are cheering. And then there's a cut. There's an edit. And what really happened in the arena as I continued on, I said, you know, but I've been really busy with Fozzie. Uh, and Stephanie's like, oh, you've been too busy for the WWE because you're in Fozzie now? I said, well, no, no, no. I mean, you should be happy that I have this other thing going on because when you lose your job, I can hire you guys to be roadies for Fozzie. And I went up to Triple H and said, hey, man, you know, just think about the fun we could have on the road, the Foz and the schnoz. People cheer. And I go, but Stephanie, you might not make a good roadie. You'd probably be better off as a groupie. You bring a whole new meaning to the term bangers and mash, which got a huge pop in Liverpool. Bangers and mash is an English dish, which is basically sausage and mashed potatoes, bangers and mash. So, yeah, I called Stephanie a groupie and, and told Triple H that the Foz and the schnoz would have a blast on the road. But I guess Vince didn't like those lines, although he never said that to me face to face. But he must not have liked it because it got cut from the show. So that's the only thing I don't like sometimes about uh, tape shows is that they can edit it. And you never know. It's not like they call me and go, okay, Chris, uh, is it okay if we if we cut out this part? So I lost uh, two of my good lines. But it was still good. Started a Funaki chant and sang na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. And coughed on Stephanie's hand when she reached her hand out for me to kiss it. Lots of great stuff. Always a blast to do a highlight reel. Always a blast to be out there with Stephanie and Triple H, two of my favorite rivals of all time. Great talents. Uh, it was funny, too, because I saw them outside the hotel. We kind of had a, a meeting in front of the limousine, and somebody took a, a shot from far away. It was like the secret meeting of Jericho and Triple H and Stephanie I posted on Instagram, but it was just us catching up and having some fun. Then I did a, a, a book signing in Liverpool, which I told the book people. They're like, we're, we're expecting 100 people or so. I was like, no, 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 guys. You don't get it. This is the U.K., People are nuts in the UK about the WWE, nuts about Chris Jericho. Thank you to you guys. I said, you better watch out. You know, you better bring in enough books. And they brought in about 250 books and like 600 people showed up. They sold out of books like two hours before I got there. And I was so angry because, hey, a sellout is always good. And I would take a sellout every time. But when it sells out two hours before showtime, basically, you know that we could have sold another 200 books or so. So I was hoping uh, to have sold a lot more. And also the fact that there was people that showed up, had traveled a lot of distances and did not get a book. And I apologize for that. It was raining. Thanks to everybody who showed up and hung out in the rain. So um, it was not my fault. You know, I told them, you, sh you guys better watch it. You're going to have a lot of people here. But it was a great signing. It was a, a great experience. And, and once again, always loved coming to the UK. And Germany was a big surprise, too. I, I wasn't knowing what to expect in Germany. And it was just crazy. The crowds were great. I think Frankfurt coming back to be my favorite show of the tour. Uh, plus, it was the last night of the tour. So we had everything all kind of really worked out with our match. Love coming back to work with Bray Wyatt in, in the singles capacity with no Bray Wyatt family, just him and I in street fights. Got hit with that kendo stick, man. A bite joke. I still got bruises on my arms. But I, I just really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I still love working in the WWE. Uh, I don't know if I would ever do a full-time schedule again. I just dropped the drumstick on the floor. But it doesn't mean that I won't come back as much as I can. Uh, we do have another tour in March, so I probably won't be back at WrestleMania. But you might see me quicker than that. I'm working on... Uh, 
I'm doing something that's never been done before. If I can do my Lars Ulrich impression, something that's going on with Chris Jericho and the WWE that's never really been done or seen before. So uh, keep your eyes and ears open, people! And you may see me back in the WWE sooner than later if everything works out the way that I hope that it will. So uh, thank you for everybody who came to those shows. Thanks to all of you who were chanting Fozzie during the matches and chanting Y2J and just a tremendous experience. I can't say how much fun I had. Great hanging out with uh, with some of the dudes. Uh, kind of sitting in the back of the bus, shooting the breeze with Dean Ambrose, a man of few words, but that very funny, good guy. Usos, I love the Usos. My boys, the Usos, the Oots. Hey, Oots, what's up, Oots? Future uh, talk is Jericho guests. They're going to be on in a few weeks. Uh, Naomi, who is, uh, actually her name is Trinity. She's um, uh, Oots' wife, Johnny's wife. She hung out with us. Natty and I heard always a blast. I got some real cool podcasts done while I was over there. The Sami Zayn, man, and Adrian Neville. Great, great matches. Great work that they did with TJ, uh, sorry, Tyson Kidd. But hilarious. Sami Zayn, super funny guy. And he's one of those guys, if they give him a chance to really, really talk on the microphone, I think he's going to make a lot of fans. And December 11th is the next uh, NXT TakeOver special on the network. And it's going to be Neville versus Zayn in a uh, single match for the title. You have to check it out. Go on this network. Go watch the network. Go by the network. Do what you can on the network. And check out NXT. The Young Star is coming up. Cesaro tore down the house over there with Dolph Ziggler. Uh, Kane still killing it. So it was a, it was a really cool um, cool tour. And like I said, hopefully I'll be back in the WWE sooner than later. Thanks to all of you for hanging out. I actually did a, a tweet secret while I was over there putting on my ring gear that did huge business. Um, go to my Instagram, Chris Jericho Fozzi, and you can see a little preview for it. Tweet secret is the app and you can see how I put on all my gear and what's all the stuff that, that kind of goes into that. It's not just putting on tights and boots. There's you know, under tights and there's, um, you know, braces and kick pads and kick pad covers and that sort of thing. So it was good to put those tights on again. And I realized afterwards, now that I date my tights and put 2014 on them, that I'm going to have to uh, update it to 2015. So I got to take off the four and put on a five somehow. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I have to get out the old sewing kit and try and do some sewing, do some mending and put on some glitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was it was a blast, and actually, I just got a box of dolls in the mail of new Chris Jericho action figures from 2014. It says on it, but no tattoos. And people are saying that on the on the WWE video game 2000, I think WK15 or whatever it's called, that there's no tattoos either. I'm wondering if they banned my tattoos. It seems like I'm tattooless whenever I'm in the video game or on the action figures. And I love when people tell me this stuff as if like it's my call. Like, well, yeah, why is there no tattoos, Chris Jericho, on your video game image? And I don't know why you guys sound like Jimmy Stewart, but yeah, it's why is there no tattoos on, on, on your video game? I don't know. If it was up to me, there'd be tattoos, and uh, there's not. So that's all I got about that. Hope you guys enjoyed the tour. Hope you guys enjoy the show today. Slash is coming up. Man, we have a good show. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. 
It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, talk is Jericho-holics. Here we go, part one, with one of the most iconic, influential guitar players of all time. I pulled up at Slash's house. He uh, let me in the door and said, go downstairs and set up your stuff. So I went downstairs, set up my little portable studio, turned it on, and we were in mid-conversation about Universal Horror Nights in in Los Angeles. I didn't want to interrupt uh, Slash's train of thought, so I just ple- pressed record, and uh, we started. So here he is, the top hat, the man. The Slash. It never ends. And you actually have a, a like a, I'm not, it's not a ride, but what is it? Like a, a, an attraction? No, no, there? no. It's not my attraction. Oh, okay. It's the park's attraction, but they asked me to do the music for it. Oh, okay. And it's this psychotic clown maze. And, and you go in and it's, it's in 3D. So it's, it's all like blue and, and red. And you walk down this hallway and the floor doesn't even seem like it, like, because it's 3D. The, the blue part is sunken. It oh, appears yeah. to be sunken, so you're walking. It's really strange. <laughs> and there's all these crazy clowns in there, and it's, it's rad. So I wrote the music for it. It's really cool. And, That's cool. Yeah. We were talking about the crazy clowns from uh, from uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like oh, clowns, Twisty. Right? Twisty the Clown? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like that, but way worse. This is like clowns. They've got victims on a gurney, and they're pulling their intestines out, and... So it's, how do you write music for that? Well, because it's it's uh, the guy goes, okay, we got this clown concept. It's going to be first original 3D maze for Universal Studios because usually they have Black Sabbath or Alice Cooper or whatever. Okay. So uh, so you go well, it's clown music and it's psycho clown music. So you come up, you know, you have that three three time, uh, three four time yeah. for clown music, just yeah. carnival ding, music. Ding, ding, ding. So you yeah. start with that and then you just stick a knife in it and just make it really sort of you know, uh, sort of minor mm-hmm. kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, add some cool notes in there just to keep the, the vibe but make it more evil. And it came to me while I was on the phone with a guy. So I was really excited. This is one of those gigs where I just do it for the love of it. They don't pay me anything to do it. And I just get all into it. and Do something know. different, right? Yeah, yeah. it's just do, fun. Do you do it mostly based on guitar or do you score the whole thing? Well, th- this particular thing, I based everything as far as the melodies on guitar. But then I worked with this really cool guy, uh, Stacy Kowalty, who does all the sound effects for all universals events shows whatever it is that they've got going on Mm -hmm. so i hooked up with him and he did all the keyboard work so the guitar is in there but there's bells and whistles and stuff you know like sound effects that make it sound like like busy (laughs) (laughs) and creepy yeah yeah they just call you up because they know you're a a horror guy or do you have a connection with them it started because i went to uh universal last year and went to halloween horror nights for the first time and, uh, you know, I'd never been, and I'm always sort of weird about those sort of big co- corporate companies that have any kind of, you know, Halloween kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, oh, it's probably pretty cheesy. So I never went. Anyway, a friend of mine talked me into going, and we went one night, and my kids were with me. And as soon as we got there, you just hear, like, really loud heavy metal music, and then there's all these guys with chainsaws cranked up, running around, chasing people. And my kids were like, uh-uh. <laughs> so no 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 amount of cursing would get them in there. So I came back the following night because now I'm I'm intrigued, and I went in there and it was just the coolest, funnest, 
best vibe in the whole park you know mm -hmm. i mean like the whole park has got fog machines going and they've got themes and like all the places that you would normally just walk from from ride to ride mm -hmm. they've got themed sort of like scare zones so they've got people running around chasing you inside of those but they've got great costumes great makeup and all that and then uh, a lot of the uh, attractions in there are turned into these mazes and so i started going through all of them and i was just this is so rad you know <laughs> and then uh i went to uh the black sabbath 3d maze which i was really skeptical about it's like how what can it what's be, 3d right? you know, like in right. we live in 4d what, what's 3d and so you get there and they give me these glasses i'm like you kidding me right yeah you put on these goofy ass glasses <laughs> and they're they're cheap and everything and you walk in and uh, there's a, a nine foot tall Grim Reaper that comes at you, and it's in 3D, so you're like on an acid trip. You know? <laughs> and everything was just really, really cool. And they've got Sabbath pumping, and it's just, and I was vocally like excited. You know? yeah. Like, this is the coolest yeah. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, so John Murdy, the guy who uh he designed it and he runs it every year i was sort of hanging out with him and you know tugging at his coattails how does this go what is this and how does this work and how'd you do that and who's going to be the next musical what's going to be the next band to mm -hmm. do uh the the next year and so he wasn't sure you know and i made some, some uh, suggestions and he's like i don't know and then six months later he asked me hey he goes you want to write some music for we're going to do our own original theme and it's going to be clown based and i was like yeah i'm the man you know? <laughs> that's for me so and i know you're not getting a chance to go but it's i'll, I'll get you the music so you can i'd love it. to i was actually wanted to try and go last night because i got in town last night but it was closed on a tuesday oh um, yeah it's yeah but it, it's it's funny because i mean you and i met years ago and it, 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 the first time we ever met it was i don't know if you remember this was at a photo shoot for uh yeah the cover of Revolver a magazine. Revolver, I totally remember that. Which is funny because photo shoots are kind of awkward as it is because oh. you got to be all like, you know, what kind of a rock face oh. you're going to make or cool. But then they stick two of us together and it's like, oh man, I'm standing with Slash and I want to talk and say hi. But it's like, here, stand here and I'll both look cool and we're back to back and we're kind of like, you know, looking at each other. But we've never met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you made it, you, you lightened it up. Like for me, most, peop most people, you know, I'm pretty easygoing. And, yeah. And, but there's a couple things that I really like walk into always in a bad mood. And one of them is photo shoots mm -hmm. i hate i hate doing photo shoots and it's one of those things you just deal with it and i try not to be have an attitude when mm -hmm. i do it but so i remember walking in and going oh great and then you were there and so we did our thing but uh you lightened the whole thing up and actually turned it from like a bad situation <laughs> into a, a pleasant situation <laughs> so I, d I definitely remember that yeah it's funny but then you know like I, the, the point i was making is we, we become friends over the years but one of the things that really connected us going back to the universal horror thing is horror movies yeah and just this love of of, of all horror now you've been a, a lifelong yeah. horror movie fan i mean literally as long as i've been um making music i mean mm. or not even making music what am i saying as long as i've been a fan of music listening to horror, music yeah listening to music horror horror movies came uh hand in hand mm -hmm. you know so this is a natural it, it, thing just from just appealed to you or did yeah, you used to watch movies those, at a young age that yeah i watched them sucked when, you in when i was a little kid um i think i was just naturally attracted to anything dark and creepy mm -hmm. there was no um influence there it was just the way it was so in other words when you're that little you see something and you react 
and you don't have any real reason because you're too young to have any sort of experiences or influences. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things in reptiles and dinosaurs and yeah. like spiders. And we'll talk about that, that too. Stuff. Yeah. So, so horror movies were, were a big thing for me. And also, but believe it or not, horror literature, you know, because mm-hmm. my dad, he's taught me to read when I was like four years old. So when he would read to me, I would always be turned on to the horror stuff. So he would read horror stuff to me and I used to love it. And then he'd give me my own horror books to read on my, on my own. Yeah. Really sort of you know, just adding to my already sort of twisted, <laughs> you know, and both my parents were big horror buffs. So, you know, do you um, remember the first horror movie that you saw or some of them? I remember some of them. I think, uh, there were the hammer movies. So mm-hmm. like murder on the Rue morgue, um, uh, the House of Usher, the House That Dripped Blood, you know, like all those Vincent Late Price. Late 60s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee, you know. And then there was some of the classics. I, I I can't remember. I think I was in the States when I started seeing Frankenstein and all that. But uh, then there was some uh, movies that I saw which were very contemporary horror uh, science fiction like Trog. Do you remember Trog? Trog? Yeah. It no. Was a, it was you saw two thousand one, right? Yeah, remember the, uh, the 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 caveman in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, this was one of those guys, exact same makeup, but just one guy that they had discovered uh, somewhere and brought him into brought him to London. And, really? and he and he runs loose and responsible for all these murders <laughs> and stuff. And this guy in this really great ape suit. Anyway, um, and then also there was a movie called Conga, which was uh, the British version of King Kong. King Kong. Yeah, yeah. You like the ape movies? Yeah, <laughs> I was. You know, anything monster. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then of course when I moved to the states, then it just opened wide open. My mom turned me on to all the classic stuff like. Uh, from from Dracula to Frankenstein to the Mummy to mm-hmm. the Hunchback of Notre Dame and then the, the creature of the movies. yeah and then the creature of the Black Lagoon the Blob the Fly you know uh, I always uh, love the Blob for some the reason. Blob was Just great the concept of it yeah, you know yeah. like the, this this big giant bowl of Jello it's, so it was it was written by somebody who was sitting around picking their nose <laughs> yeah. <thought>, what if <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know I I remember I used to um, I used to my mom would make me a deal. That uh, if I went to bed at 1030, she would let me get up at midnight to watch the late night horror movies because every, every, every weekend they would show. And this is back when there was only three channels and there was no VCRs or DVDs. So to get a chance to, to look in the TV guy and see, okay, like, you know, London After Midnight is showing tonight at 1230. Can I please stay up and watch it? And she's like, no, but if you go to bed... And set your alarm. If you really want to see it, you'll get up. And every night, man, I went to bed. I set the alarm. I get up, go downstairs, and watch the double feature. So I remember watching those same films. Yeah. But you had to, you had to make an effort uh, well, back then. Yeah, because I mean, in England, there was only, if I remember correctly, two or three stations, mm-hmm. and they were only on for parts of the day. So, and if anything that I was going, because mostly it was news, it was mostly BBC. Right. So when there were movies on, you know, it was a big event. You know, mm-hmm. so I had to know exactly when it was going to be, and you, there was a big build up to that. Yeah. You know? So you you grew up uh, in in England then. Yeah, I grew up in England in uh, Stoke and Trent, which mm-hmm. is in the Midlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. it's funny. I texted you from there one time. We were there, we were there. I think two years ago, starting a tour with this horrible bus, and it was raining. And I just gotten into some serious Pink Floyd, and I was like super depressed. And I was like, dude, I know why you moved out of here, man. I want to shoot myself right now <laughs> in the middle, yeah, of, right in was, front of the underground. Is the name of the, of the club? 
I have to. I mean, I loved it when I was a little kid, and it was very homey and very. It was a little, this really small community, mm-hmm. and it was and it was home. So you know, but I remember you know every single morning walking to school, you couldn't see the house across the street. You know, it was that fog. dense fog, and uh, and it was it was gray. You know. 75% of the time and but, you know it was, all, it was, it was yeah. all normal and when you had a sunny day it was beautiful and everything was great but you were pretty much used to wearing wellies and you know <laughs> wellies those are rubber boots for the uninitiated <laughs> yeah. anyway and then and then we moved to Los Angeles and you know like everything completely changed and it was mm-hmm. um, it's been pretty much chaos and instability ever since, ever since yeah. <laughs> so what do you watch a lot of modern horror films as well um, well then or now well I mean now like you still watch as much as you can or has it kind of subsided a bit no no I still watch them the the thing that happened was uh, like I was diehard all the way until into the 80s and when they when we started getting the franchises right like the original first and second uh, versions of like Halloween Friday the 13th uh, my bloody Valentine I don't even think there was a sequel to that, but anyway, those movies remake, that were coming around, mm-hmm. you know, that early eighties, yeah, that early eighties stuff. And, and then there was, you know, like nightmare on Elm street and all that. And that was all great. And it still had your iconic villains. And it mm-hmm. was, but then they turned into like the sequels. And then when we got into the nineties, um, horror had basically turned into something that I just wasn't really appreciating very much. Um, I think a lot of the cliches mm-hmm. become the, the main platform for all the horror movies they became parodies of themselves yeah yeah and it was all like there was nothing creative i mean for me it was always about how intriguing the characters were and in and 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 you know believe it or not the story is a big important Mm -hmm. part you know and so so that started to go out the window and now basically okay here's some teenagers they're going to go into (laughs) this place and they're going to get chopped into pieces and we're going to try and get real graphic with Mm -hmm. you know and we have a lot of special effects guys who've been working their asses off to just get better and better and better which they did but as an overall movie experience um it wasn't really scary it was you know got to a point of just being sort of unsettling Mm -hmm. so through the 90s i lost interest and then uh as we got into the millennium, I started to get back into it and started to realize there was a lot of really cool independent horror movies being made. Yeah. Did you ever look at any of the ones from overseas, like J-Horror? Or, yeah, uh, well, Jowls? a couple. The a couple yeah. that I've seen. Because um, that kind of gave it a kick in the ass, like when Ring came out, yeah. or all those, the grudge. Yeah. Then people started getting no, those back into horror. There was, there was an awesome, uh, awesome movie that came out of, I think it was Korea, called The Host. Yes. Yeah, which was great. So and that was, was exciting. A monster type thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was awesome. And uh, and then there was some Italian ones. Well, actually, back in this, I think you were the one talking about it, right? The Italian director, which yeah, remi- yeah, yeah. Mutual Fulci. All right, yeah, which reminded me thing. that there was some Italian movies that were coming out, sort of in the I guess it was like two thousand two or two thousand three. There there was two that I saw that were made by not the same director but an Italian director that were really good, and I could tell that outside of the sort of commercial realm, you know, mm-hmm. there was actually really good movies being made, and I just started to get back into it. Um, still like, you know, I, I can, I can count on two hands how many really great horror movies have come out in the last decade yeah. that were just like your movie studio fair, you know, but they've gotten better. The Conjuring was a point, it was at least 
pointed in the right direction. Of that was really good. That, that, there were some freak out moments yeah. in that with yeah. the clap, uh, yeah. the staircase, yeah. and then the closet with the hands and all that stuff. Yeah. And there were some good moments in that. There was. Uh, did you like the, the the first paranormal activity? I thought it was great. Yeah, that I liked the first too. one. Even the second one was okay, but then of course it just Franchise. went out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's great if you can do more than one. But I, I you know, and I don't have any experience making franchises, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, somewhere in there, the writing starts to go down, and then the movie studio just wants it. Mm-hmm. Because they know that no matter what, they're going to sell sure. X amount of tickets. Doesn't have to be good. Jaws did the same thing. Mm-hmm. We all had to suffer that's through really that. Really bad yeah. at the end of that. Well, and, th- and that's the thing too. Talking about you know, you mentioned Friday Thirteenth or, or, or Freddy. Like those, the killers themselves became more entertaining than than the kids they were killing. So they became the good guys. Yeah, yeah, well, the just, heroes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just want to see like how they're gonna how they're gonna do yeah. this. You know, yeah. but that happens with most movies. Like Terminator was like that, or mm. Darth Vader, or Hannibal Lecter. Like the bad guys always become well. That's the good I mean, guys. It, it it goes back to the westerns and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's always this fascination with the. Uh, the dark character, Darth Vader. You know, we all love right. Darth Vader. Um, not that that's a Western, but I'm trying. I can't well, think it's based of based off one you know, though. Black Bart. You know, yeah, we all love. Yeah, yeah, sure. So all the villains are always are always great, but you have to have, in contrast, you have to have. Um, uh, characters, you know, the so-called good people or mm-hmm. good characters that you have empathy for, or that you um, that resonate in some way, so that there's the battle of good and evil. If it's just right. disposable good people, then all you, all you have are left with was just a villain, which gets old. And okay, you kill people, and oh, we do it this way, this way, this way, this way. Bob, Sally, and Anne, and Joe, and they're all they're, they have no background. Virgin, they have no depth. slut, nerd, <laughs> yeah. jock, yeah, you know, yeah, smart yeah. guy, hippie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stoner. <laughs> yeah, stoner, right. right. I always have to have the stoner. Is that kind of what led you to start up Slasher Films, yeah. your production company? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I had a conversation with a producer uh, a few Halloweens ago at a Halloween party that he was throwing and uh, somewhere in the middle of the night and he was drunk but I was sober <laughs> so he started off on this subject of horror and I, I don't really have too many people I chat about horror with mm-hmm. so this he, this was like just I just vented on my feelings about <laughs> horror what I liked what I didn't like and this that and the other and he called me up uh, a couple of days later and said, you know, I really think that you would be really good at producing. You should produce, and let's do something together um, through piggybacking off my company. And they started sending me uh, scripts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I realized that um, as much as I like to read, I love reading these scripts. So after a while, he's like, well, just tell me which ones you like and, and, and you know, sort of pick those out of the whole. So, you know, reading script after script, I finally find one. That was good. I think I found four out of a hundred scripts. And so we started to develop those four movies and we ended up with one script that, that we could actually do all the way, you know, and finish. And that was nothing left to fear. Mm -hmm. So got in there, you know, the typical me, you know, jumping into a situation where, (laughs) you know, I jump feet first and look later. (laughs) And it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work and it was very complicated. And we, we had a, you know, they, 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 there was a thing that, you know, having the name Slash brought a lot of people out of the woodwork and a lot of great meetings and a lot of people um, that I thought were, you know, that I was familiar with, you mm-hmm. know, so from the business. So that really helped. But, you know, getting the money 
to make the movie, it doesn't matter who you are. It's, it's hard to get the How money. How do you do that? You, you have to get investors and stuff. And you have to get the script together. You have to get the director together, which we did. Um, started casting it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you really have to go take meetings. You have to get involved with people who make movies all the time and get partner up with them so that they can turn you on some, to some investors mm-hmm. that they know. And there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen making a movie. Anyway, so we did all that. Um, we ended up uh, going out to location, Louisiana, and ended up making the movie for a lot less than we were planning on making it for, mm-hmm. which meant a lot of editing as far as the script goes on set. Gotcha. And it was it was craziness. And then were you on set quite, for quite no, a while. No, because what happened was by the time we got the money, the the the, the shooting schedule that we planned on had gone from it kept getting pushed back and back and back and back and I had a window and then there was the tour going to start mm-hmm. so it got pushed into the tour so I had to fly out from the road to go to the set you know so I couldn't be there all the time and then on top of that uh, we we're scoring the movie and I was working with a great scoring composer um, here in Los Angeles and you know I'd written a bunch of music for and that was one of the the other things that that lured me into it was that Just being able it. to be responsible for the music because that partnership of the visual and the music when it's done when it works is the ultimate that's a whole different experience. world yeah. that's not just writing a riff and oh it is drums well for me melodies. it is yeah. though yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean my, my approach to it initially was like well i'll write the melody and i started getting into that and making demos for it playing it for the director but when i i've i've worked on movies before and i don't know how to use i don't write uh physically right you know. yeah. i mean i understand theory but i don't write notes on paper okay and, um and so so and then there's there's writing to a, a clock you know so there that was all going oh, on and the guy who i was working with is uh his name's uh nick o'toole really really brilliant guy and, and great composer but also great technician mm-hmm. and has this amazing orchestra and his basically in his computer setup that sounds more real than any sample i've ever heard you know? <laughs> anyway so we worked together but then i had to do a lot of composing to film on the road so he taught me how to load it all into my laptop oh, wow. and sync it up so after every show i'd get back to the hotel and just pull my gear out and start <laughs> doing this until four or five in the morning so it was a great experience and babe. so what do you do you watch the scene and say okay this guy something bad is going to happen so i have to write some kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. ominous music and yeah that's basically and- it and you've got from here's the 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 time clock and so it starts here and it ends here and you have to and and, and here's this dynamic and here's this scare so here's and they're right on this this you know like three minutes and 12 seconds into it it's going to have this thing and you just and normally you would just do it for me i would just do it by feel mm-hmm. but you really have to sort of it's get it perfect. all in there and, you know. yeah. so it was it was great i learned a lot from it and then after it was all said and done we finally actually managed to make the movie because we had every hurdle thrown <laughs> at us and yeah. i guess this is par for course in the independent filmmaking industry because you're really basically doing it yourself right so after that was all said and done and um i was like yeah i really like it i'm gonna keep doing this and i'm i'm one of those people that won't let it go until i make what i'm i consider the best horror movie of all time (laughs) (laughs) well and that's the way you have to be right yeah so you just keep at it because nothing left to fear turned out really good i actually went and uh, bought the dvd which is more and more of a rare thing oh that's right you told me yeah i was at uh, target buying some stuff for my kids and i saw it there it was it was was good you know it had it had uh I mean, I I think it was good too. There was moments in it 
where I think any producer or director will go, oh, there's parts in it that I don't like. But, uh, I mean, there's some great moments in it's it that scares. I'm really proud of. And I'm really, the thing I'm most proud of is how the score works in it because the right. score really well, came out good. And anyway, so now I'm working on one for next year called Cutthroats 9 with a Canadian okay. guy named uh, Rodrigo Guardino. Oh, cool. Who is the, the chief editor-in-chief for Room Org magazine. All mm-hmm. oh, right, and, okay. And he wrote, he wrote a movie called... Uh, the uh, Will and Testament of Rosalie, Rosalind Lee, mm-hmm. which was really great, and there's only one actor in it, and it's just an oh, actor wow. in a house, and it's a really creepy movie. So he wrote the script, which is a remake of an old 1971 movie of the same name, Cutthroats Nine, and Cutthroats I, Nine. Yeah, and I watched it on the bus, the original on the bus. It's probably the most brutal mm-hmm. movie for that time I'd, I've ever seen. But it's a great story, and so we're going to do that next year. And then I'm juggling, I'm what is it, spinning plates <laughs> yeah. with three more scripts, and you just have to see which one hits, you yeah. know, and you're going to go on with. I watched it with my, uh, watched Nothing Left to Fear with my 15-year-old niece, who's my horror buddy, and she yeah. liked it. And that's always when the teenagers yeah. like it, and the, uh, the dads like it. You know, you did something good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Talk is Jericho. Sitting here with Slash, and we've been talking about horror movies. Your production company is making them. But let me ask you this. What's your favorite horror film of all time if you had to choose just one? Well, I get asked a lot now. So my default horror movie is uh, The Omen, the original Omen. Because it's just, it's got all the right uh, elements in it. Mm -hmm. It's well-written. It's a great original story, especially for a demonic story, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's uh, really well cast. It's really well directed, and it's just shot great. I mean, it's just everything about it is is perfect, you know. And it's amazing the performances in it too. I was telling you when you posted that picture. By the way, if you don't follow Slash on Instagram, you have to because you have the best Instagram ever. You hardly ever write descriptions. Oh yeah, you just yeah. find these super awesome creepy cool pictures i still don't know where you find them you know? I, I i i don't scour the internet but i have a couple different places that i know that you go to yeah, yeah. That, well, that, don't divulge because yeah. there's great stuff but one day you just posted a picture of, of the omen the, yeah, the kid yeah. and i was like ah oh. because i told you the story but i when i was when i was very very young because i think that movie came out in 76 so i was probably five yeah, no it did come out in 76, okay yeah. so i was like five and i remember waking up one night my mom was like messing with my hair and uh, I don't know why, and I kind of went back to sleep. And I don't know if she told me the next day or it was years later that she, they, my parents had went and seen The Omen, uh-huh. then came back home, and my mom went looking through my hair to see if she could you find tell me the 666, the mark <laughs> of the beast. And, you know, thankfully she didn't find it because mine's underneath my arm. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's how I started. Like, how could you not get into horror? The that? first thing that came to mind when you told me that story is what a disaster monster you must have been when you were a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're talking about perf- perfectly rational. 
rational adults that went and saw a movie and thought maybe this is the answer. <laughs> That's right. Like, how bad was I, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But I mean, you mentioned juggling and spinning plates. I mean, you got so much stuff going on. And in the middle of it, your your new record, World on Fire, which is is the best record you've done since Guns N' Roses, in my mm. opinion. I, I like the the uh, Slash of Snake Pit, and and their last record was great. But this one, World on Fire, with uh, I love the name Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the, and the Conspirators. conspirators yeah. It's hard to put that on the back of a jersey. I know it's hard to put it on the front of a marquee too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean this record, and. It always takes a couple records for a band to become a band, but yeah. you got a great band now, and yeah. this is like a band effort. Yeah, um, you're you're totally right. Like when it comes to, like the thing with me is I I, I just love to jam and I love to plug in and play, and mm-hmm. I'm not a very patient person, so <laughs> I'll go in and make a Snake Pit record just for the fun of it, and all you know it's it's cool and everything, but it's not really what you call really well fleshed out, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter to me. I'm just just you get the riff and you got the vocal. Yeah. Yeah, it's rock. But this one, you know, because I've been working with these same guys, it's sort of um, everybody in the band has their own unique character. And when we work together, it has a way of just sort of settling into a comfort zone. Patience wise, um, everybody uh, are, are not perfectionists, but but are really care about what they're doing. So there's a, a lot more sort of uh, not so much time invested but care invested in making the right you know just putting Mm -hmm. the songs together and working with Miles he's very conscientious about his melodies and and you know like I'll write uh, the bulk of the material for a song and he'll start getting the vocals together and he'll have a certain line that needs to go here or a melody that he needs a chord change and all that and so we'll sit down together and work all that stuff out and I think we started doing that when we did Starlight that was the first song we ever did together and over the course of uh, Apocalyptic Love and doing that we started to get a feel for each other writing and, Mm -hmm. and even with Todd and Brent of how we all work together so after uh, touring on Apocalyptic Love and jamming at sound checks and writing stuff here and there. When we went in to do this record, there was a certain kind of comfort zone that we just really sort of kicked back and, and or maybe we just knew more about it, writing songs. I don't know, but something really sort of happened. You played in the so process. many gigs together too. Yeah, there's, there's chemistry, familiarity there. that comes right. With that. So I I love the way the songs came out for this record, and then on top of it. Um, Mike Basquette or Elvis as we call him you know he was sort of the guy yeah the producer that you know when the time came to make the record I didn't know you know Eric Valentine wasn't going to be available to do it he's the guy who produced Apocalyptic Love and uh, so I was thinking of records that I'd heard that sort of sounded anything similar to what I was trying to do you know I I definitely wanted to do uh, do the record on tape and all that kind of stuff and play as much live as possible and uh, uh, the the last Alterbridge record, I just remember well, the bass and drums sounded amazing on that mm-hmm. record. So I asked Miles about it, and Miles says, "I have I don't want to have any influence on this. Call him yourself." <laughs> so I called Mike up, and I told him, you know, we got into this conversation. He goes, "Well, I used to be a, uh, a tape engineer at NRG. That's how I got my start." And I was like, "Oh, so you?" Because I just I started used to record in yeah here yeah, in LA, right? Yeah. yeah. And so he, um, you know, he got started doing digital because that's what it's called for now. But he's, a, you know, he's got good tape chops. So that was a, a key thing. And then we What, are you still like recording on tape? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. it's interesting because Zach Wilde's the same. He doesn't yeah. use any kind of digital stuff. It's always on still the three-quarter inch old school tape. Yeah. Why, why do you do that? Um, well, not to totally change the subject, but 
it's the thing about tape and it's not because I don't, I don't have a problem with digital as far as it's convenient. It's fast. It's cheap. Mm -hmm. It's a million great things about it. But the one thing that I don't like about it is when you record drums or you record guitars with it, it has a certain thing to it. There's this metallic quality that digital has mm. that is, there's a warmth that's lacking that when you're recording to tape, it just, it's there. And it's just so nice and warm, especially if you're playing it on vinyl, which nobody's going to do. But if you're playing it on vinyl, it's just got this nice, rich sound to it. That that's really the the main reason. And the other the other thing that sort of I've I worked with uh, Pro Tools for Velvet Revolver, mm -hmm. and Pro Tool, Tools engineers cannot stay away from moving all the little things around. You're right, and uh, and it drives me crazy because what you're basically doing is you're taking the uh fiber of you know like it's it's not tangible but the bands sort of pull and and sort of tugging and and interaction that happens when you're recording live um it's integral to the feel of the song when you hear it so when you start moving that stuff around you're basically bleeding it dry of any kind of real sort of human element yeah, the human you know, element, right. So anyway, that's that's the reason. So he, so Elvis could do Elvis that. could do that, and he also was uh, really cared about the guitars because uh, I'm sort of a, an old school, simple uh, approach guitar player, and it's all about the sound of the strings and the amp and the uh, the uh, you know the sort of the burn of the transistors and you know, uh, or the tubes stuff. rather. You yeah. know. So <laughs> anyway, so so. Uh, Lately, what happens with guitars is they're just everything is really saturated. A lot of times, they're using um, amp models and plugins and uh, reamp reamping techniques and and stuff like that. And you lose all this sort of personality of just the guitar and the amplifier, which mm -hmm. I like to sort of retain. So most producers I've worked with, especially on outside stuff, not my own records, but on outside stuff. Like when you're guessing. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, you don't really have control of the situation. Um, they sort of go for this kind of sound, which is very fabricated sounding to me. So I had this conversation with Mike, and he, he and I saw on the same page. Anyway, long story short... We hired him, and he was the fifth. He was the glue that the fifth beetle. Yeah, because <laughs> with everything that we wrote, he would never come in and try. He would very rarely suggest anything, but he would tighten up all the stuff. That even as a hard worker like myself, there's certain things that I'm lazy about. You know, like the junctions between parts where you just have to tighten up this little. Mm. You know, I'll sort of I'll put a lick over that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. He he made us buckle down and fix and and get the songs down from one end to the other so we could play it basically perfect and then we then we rehearsed it that way and then just went in the studio and just did it live and it was really fast well and you've got a, you mentioned miles you mentioned todd and brent you've got a great band and it's funny i always have to point out to everybody oh yeah uh, slash's rhythm section is from winnipeg i mean mm -hmm. todd's mostly from regina but it's the same thing yeah. and you know the story brent and i went to high school together actually rival high schools and his band was always the best band in town and mine was always the second best and i hated him so much like brent fitz i'd see him at mcdonald's and he had the long hair and the, he always wore red spandex look at that. that's because they didn't have 
Starbucks back then. They did. So you go to McDonald's to hang out. That's right. Yeah. But I just like you know talk about a guy that's paid his dues and been been around the horn, played with some of the the best name, Alice mm-hmm. Cooper, and you know even with Vince Neil and those guys. So when you got him, you had a seasoned seasoned vet, and and same with Todd. Yeah. Well, I didn't even. The funny thing about this band is, you know, I've been playing around with like different uh, groups of people in Los Angeles, large large amounts of people I've worked with, and and whenever I've done a record, you know, I've always relied on people that I was familiar with, and when I met up with with Miles, this is somebody I'd never even heard sing, right? I knew someone just say you got to check knew, this guy out. I knew of him. Oh, okay. well, he he was gonna audition for he well he was supposed to audition for Velvet Revolver before Scott. Okay, and he never showed up. He got the music, said it was great, was really excited, and then he just disappeared. <laughs> and we found out later that he just felt like at that time in his life, he he felt very weird. I guess Mayfield Four was breaking up. That was his original band, yeah. yeah. He was funk at that point. And so, and then when Scott got fired, he was mentioned again, and I didn't know him, but Matt did. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he was in Alter Bridge, and he turned it down. So that was in 2008. So late 2009, I called him up just to sing this one song, really based on the fact that they had called him and had him come out and sing for Zeppelin for a Zeppelin tour that they were going to do without right. Robert Plant. And I said, this guy's got to be good. And I had two yeah, songs geez. left over. This is when you were doing the album where you had all a the singers, singer yeah. on every track. Yeah. And I'd done the whole record, but the entire time I'd been working on the record, I had two songs that I'd never figured out who should sing. So I kept moving. And by the time the record was finished, there's those two damn songs still staring me in the face. So I thought, well, you know what? The record's finished, and if they don't make the cut, if they don't make it on the album, it's, you know, it's not going to kill me. But who? So maybe Miles could do it. You know, shot in the dark. I can see what he sings like, and we mm-hmm. maybe get these two songs done. So I called him up and uh, I told him what I was doing. You know, the record with all the different people, and he said, "Cool, send me the song." So I sent him one of the demos. Total, completed more or less front to, to back arrangement and uh, sent it to him and a few days later it came back and I remember just sitting there with the play button with the computer going oh I don't know what if this is terrible <laughs> and I hit it and the song started and it was like seamless like we'd been playing together for years and I, I sent it to my producer Eric Valentine and I said is it me or is this really good <laughs> you know <laughs> and he goes down this is great so so we flew him out to LA and we met for the first time and anyway so that's how we got hooked up and then when I asked him if he wanted to do the tour he said yeah and I was like I, you know, I was expecting no because of Alter Bridge mm-hmm. so he signed on because he was on a break and it was only supposed to be a couple months what, was your, what were your plans if he didn't say like you wanted to go tour this album yeah. with all these different singers what if Miles said no who would you have gotten I would have figured it out typical yeah. me you know I, I'd sort it out <laughs> Because yeah. when I saw you guys on that tour, not to, to stray, but we'll yeah. come back, but I saw that first tour when you first got uh, Todd and Brent in the band. You guys, and you still do, you're doing Snake Pit songs. You're doing yeah. songs that, like, okay, Shadows sang on this one and Lemmy sang on that one. And then yeah. you're doing Gun songs. You're doing Velvet Revolver songs. Yeah. You're doing, you know, a Zeppelin tune. Like, you gave Miles, like, all right, buddy, let's see how you, let's see how you do. Well, the, the funny thing <laughs> is, like, I, if, if I had a gut feeling that from listening to him sing, that he could do it. He was just such a good guy. Like mm-hmm. whatever it was, I was just happy to be working with him and I really liked his company, you know. And uh but when I after he signed on to do it and I thought about it, I go, I, I don't think there's anybody on this planet that could have done I agree. all this this different stuff. And some so hard vocals. It was too. really sort of a you blessing, know? you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so once he'd signed on, you know, I started to audition make those phone calls to the same cats that I've been jamming with for years on different little throw together projects to see who would be the right drummer for this. 
And while I was doing that, and literally this happened, I'd get texts or emails from unrelated people. You should check out this guy, Brent Fitz. And mm-hmm. I've never heard of him. And I was like, sort of ignoring it at first. But then when enough people that had nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. mentioned his name, I sought him out when I was in Vegas. And we met, got together and he flew out to L.A. And we jammed and he was perfect. Like exactly what I was looking for, like really great heavy drummer with energy, but just enough behind the beat that it's not rushed, you know. Mm. Um, and then I had a bass player who another Canadian guy, his name I won't mention because he's a really sweet guy, and I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, put a blemish on. So, but um, he was great bass player, but not the right guy for this. And we only had a few days before the first show, mm. and. Uh, uh, <laughs> So, oh, so Brent goes, well, I know a bass player. Like, everybody knows a bass player. Do you know a good bass player? (laughs) He goes, no, I know a guy. He's really good. I say, are you sure? Because, I mean, I don't want to, we don't have a lot of time here. He goes, no, let me call him up and see if he'll he'll come down and drive down. And so it was Todd. And Todd showed up the next day, and he walked in, and he was like, like uh side for sore eyes. Just like the perfect guy. Looks great. Came in and just played his ass off. And it was just the right, you know, not overplayed, mm-hmm. not, but just played the songs the way they were supposed to go, but had his, his sound and his whole style together. And, uh, and so we were off and running and we rehearsed, learned 30 songs. And then miles came in on the last day and we, rehearsed with him and we went and played the Roxy and we had just a great time. And I was like, oh, these are like real rock and roll guys who are well versed enough to, to real have musicians. A, yeah, real yeah. musicians, but not like, not like studio guys that know mm-hmm. how to play different mm-hmm. genres, like guys who are steeped in rock and roll, but have played a lot and been, you know, had yeah. some experience because it paid the dues over the yeah, years. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. And, and, and really just genuinely pleasant, uh, individuals. So we went out on the road and we, uh, what ended up, what was going to be a couple of months ended up being a year and a half. Wow. So 2000, 2010 into 2012. And so, um, uh, no, 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 almost to 2012. It was halfway through 2011. Mm-hmm. So during that tour, I thought, well, if I was going to make another record, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't even, I just made the one record with all the singers and it was a, an escape thing from Velvet Revolver at the time. Cause that had gotten really complicated. And so now, like if I was, you know, like, this is so great. If I was going to make another record, I'll just do it these playing with these guys. And so I wrote a bunch of material on the, on the road and we went in and we did apocalyptic love completely live in the studio so even the guitars it was just very raw and like all the guys together in all a room. the guys together in a room miles playing guitar me playing guitar oh it's right and, Todd. Yeah. and uh and i just wanted to see really how good a band it, it was mm-hmm. you know you know it's just an experiment and uh and and so that came out really good we had a couple good singles on it and and a, a lot of tracks on that record that i really like but sonically it's 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 a very sort of like no it's not a real dynamic record as far as like you know it's not a produced record it's mm-hmm. very much this is how it sounded what's well, raw like we recorded that's what you wanted yeah. so wrote material on that tour for this record world on fire and uh and i this record i was like okay i want to go i want to layer the guitars i want to have vocal harmonies and i want to use different amps for different parts of the song and like really sort of focus it um and so and then miles said you know i don't want to play guitar on this record i just want to sing so i was good i'll play all the guitars (laughs) because that way i can do my own sort of harmonies and and this and that um and so we went in the studio with mike you know and started we did an extensive pre-production 
writing the songs and then rehearsing them before mm -hmm. we went into the studio and then went in the studio and banged it out and it's at this point that i realized the band had finally found this you've become nice, a band yeah and yeah. i can't wait to do the next record because i can feel how this is going you've got yeah. the vibe now yeah. well you mentioned going on tour with these guys and you told me something years ago one of the times we hung out i said how do you like this band and you're like oh, i love this band and None of these guys are from L.A. They're all like really cool. <laughs> yeah. How was it for you? I mean, obviously, you, you talk about, okay, you're in a band with Axel. Then, okay, I'll go in a band with Scott Weiland. He's not mm. as much of a problem as Axel or whatever. You've got these real, you know, guys that have whatever that they have. Then you go on the road with Miles and Todd mm -hmm. and Brent. I mean, how was that for you, like, were you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Like, are these guys going to turn into monsters at one of these points? But they well, never did. I mean, um, I, there's a certain... I have to admit, there was a certain element of what, what's what's the catch point, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. You know, like everybody's got a thing that you got to sort of work around. You also have to live as harmoniously as possible together for extended periods of time. And really, I mean, everybody's so focused on work, like everybody just wants to play. So there's everybody has personalities and everybody has their own quirks and this and that and the other, but none of it affects what it is that they do like that all any of us care about more first and foremost is just going in and playing sound the gig, check yeah. the gig those and so everything else sort of takes takes a, a back seat to mm -hmm. that and i think that's the thing that makes this such a pleasure because i just I've, i i've had the experience of running into issues that unnecessarily um kept us from doing what the band doing was actually supposed to be doing. Right, 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 right. I could never really understand that. But we would always work with it and make it happen mm -hmm. to, to the extent that we could. But with these guys, it's all about just playing. I mean, Miles goes goes in, he, he does uh, an hour or whatever of warm-up before every show, doesn't talk after the show, keeps to himself most of the time. And, I, you know, I know him, so I just, this is how he does his thing. Mm -hmm. And he gets up and he sings six nights a week. You know? mm -hmm. And then he goes off and does that other band. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, I've, I've kept him busy for, you know, for every day off that he's had with Alter Bridge, he's been with me. So And every day and off he's had with you, he's with, with Alter Bridge. So it's like five years straight he's been gone. How do you, uh, I, was, I was always laugh, it's like one of these days Slash is gonna, and Mark are going to meet in a back alley and just fight it out for possession of Miles. No, I, it, you know, <laughs> the thing is, is with, with Mark, a lot of people ask me that. With Mark, he's, he's sort of like me. He's, he's very he's, laid back. He's very laid back. He, he cares about making his record, doing it the way that he wants it to sound and going out and doing an amount of shows. He doesn't, because he's got family, he's very family oriented. So he doesn't want to work like crazy like I do. Mm -hmm. And I have a family too, but I'm still a total workaholic. You're road So dog. yeah, so when, when they go out, they do their thing. I spend all my time writing, you know, and working on the material for when he, Miles gets back, getting that ready. And then we go out and I try and run the gauntlet, but Mark's cool at home, taking care of his stuff until we're done. And then he gets ready to go. So in. do you call Mark and say, hey man, this is what I'm thinking, or you just, just well, go we through Miles or our managers, managers go yeah, through managers. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you ever talked to Mark at all? You've yeah, seen him around. Yeah. We toured with him. Oh, that, oh yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. That was actually a really cool tour. He's and he's doing a solo project now, which is coming out. So is this when he was with, was it Slash and Tremonti, the band Tremonti? Or was it Slash and Alter Bridge? This was Slash and Tremonti. Okay. So I will probably, if I can get him to do it, do some dates with him when he gets this next record out. You know? It was Wolfgang Van yeah, Halen on tour yeah. with them? And he's, they were all great. That was a really yeah. cool little tour, yeah. Did you see Van Halen at all when they did the reunion with, with Roth and I Wolfgang? saw one show at the Forum. 
what would you think of, of Wolfie on the bass? Well, he, you know, I mean, okay, Wolfie's great. It's, it's, yeah, it goes without yeah. saying. As a bass player, he's fantastic. Um, you know, I'm from the old school, Van Halen, whatever, and so it's great to have Dave back, but then not having not Michael have there. Michael, yeah. Know, so, But at the same time, you know, that said, whatever, you know, I don't claim to know, I've heard a million stories, whatever went on with Michael and, and, and Eddie, um, you know, Wolfgang came in and did the job, and and, you know, yeah. and I understand the family element. I totally get that. So well, I don't, I don't, I don't. I three don't. quarters original, one quarter inevitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I was going to ask you about. Uh, I know, funny. I know, you got Frank on uh, on guitar, and Fra Fra Frank, uh, what's Frank's last name? I forgot. Um, no, see now that you put me on the spot, <laughs> Sidoris. Frank Sidoris. You know, I did an interview recently where that someone. And I couldn't remember his last name, and I never got past it. I never – he hasn't <laughs> called me about it. Though. Okay. Well, you're the boss. So it's okay. <laughs> At least you know he's Frank. Well, you got Frank in. He's, he's a younger guy. Mm -hmm. uh, you had, you had uh, – Bobby was with you before that, but then also playing with Dave Kushner and playing with, with Gilby and playing with Izzy. Mm -hmm. Is it – is like being a two-guitar band – and you talk about the Stones. I mean, we're both huge Stones fans. And Keith said, you know, if Ronnie ever left the band, I couldn't do this anymore because we, we have the ancient art of weaving right, right, right. where we combine each other's licks. And, and you guys, I found you've always had a guitar player that you do that with. Is it hard, though, to start again or is it okay? You just find someone with chemistry and just work it out? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. How many hours do we have? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering because no. if you listen to, like, you know, let's say Appetite, you could tell you and Izzy had a real... I don't know if it's a mental connection, but there's yeah. a lot of he's doing little things, and you're this is the ancient art of weaving. Right. I love that description. And well, it's it's something that happens that you don't consciously sit down. At least with with Izzy, it didn't happen that way. And I I know like with 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 Aerosmith and and, and right. with ACDC too. It's like you you hook up with another guitar player, and you naturally have this sort of chemistry if if, if it happens it happens pretty <laughs> naturally and i was never in a two guitar band until guns and roses i was always the single guitar player and i was very much used to that but when i hooked up with axel and guns and roses and and i knew izzy and it, we, we'd worked together before it just was part and parcel that's how it, it worked mm -hmm. and so we established a certain kind of a thing which was very unorthodox you've got it's total Marshall-driven, Les Paul distortion, whatever, on my end. And you've got this sort of like semi-hollow-body, semi mm. fairly clean kind of thing happening on the side. The twain shouldn't meet on the same ground. It should be lopsided. But somehow it just it managed to work. And we never sat down and and physically worked out guitar parts i just played my part by ear really? off of you know whatever the song was whether it was a song he wrote or a song i wrote and um i would just hear it and just come up with my own thing and he did exactly the same and that's how guns and roses worked so i've you know the thing about having two guitars is just weighing the whole thing down as a guitar band it just gives you this kind of depth of, of by the way that was a skull things. ring that went across the <laughs> mic which is extra rock and roll yeah. so go ahead sorry um so I got accustomed after Guns N' Roses to working in two guitar bands, um, but trying to find that chemistry when you when you 
is something you can't even really do. So you work with a guy who has similar whatever and some, however you pick them, like with Ryan in Snake Pit right. or Gilby, both those guys, um, they don't have necessarily as identifiable a, a, a style as Izzy did in, in the context of what Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. does. But at the same time, they have their own thing and it still seemed to work with mine and we would just continue on. Mm-hmm. At, at this point with Frank, you know, I, I said, I just need you to learn all these songs properly and, and have, you know, be able to play well enough, you know, be a good guitar player, have your own sound and all that kind of stuff. It's something I didn't actually say, but that's mm-hmm. what, that's what you're expecting. And uh, and learn learn the uh, learn all the different parts, and be able to make it sound the way that it should sound. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not like looking at Frank. Is he going to be the next guy that I work with that's going to have this really amazing magical? I'm not even looking for that anymore. I'm really um, just looking to be able to play the songs the way that they sound. So when Miles didn't want to play guitar on the, this record, I was like really happy to be able to go in and do my own idea of what I think the two guitars should sound like. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I did a thing where I have, you know, like my setup, which is my regular standard setup for speaker a right or right. Mm-hmm. And then a different sound for, for a speaker left, right? Not right, left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and just, and, and do a kind of texture kind of a thing where they are seamless. They're not weaving or doing anything like that, but you can tell that there's harmonies and there's layers mm-hmm. going on. And then with, with, uh, with Frank, he's, it's his interpretation of whatever that is. And it just seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> Happy accent. Yeah. Well, that's you... the first time I've really talked about that. Yeah. Well, that's where we'll stop for now. We got the rest of it on Friday. We'll get into Slash's signature guitar sound, the craziness of Guns N' Roses at the peak of their fame. And I'll tell you this, Slash does not like talking about Guns N' Roses. He went to this organically because he was having such a good time in this conversation. I asked him, what was it like to be in the biggest band in the world at the time? He gives us some honest answers will there be a guns and roses reunion he answers us honestly about that and then we'll get into dinosaurs that's how slash and i became good friends in the first place because we're both amateur paleontologists we're going to exchange theories on how and why dinosaurs became extinct and exchange what each other's favorite dinosaurs are you're not going to believe this stuff and you're not going to hear it anywhere else no matter what kind of a podcast slash does i guarantee he doesn't talk about dinosaurs all that much all of this coming up and so much more on Friday with Slash. And also, go see Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators on the road. You need to check them out live. They're in Vienna, Austria tonight, which is Wednesday. They're playing the Krakow Arena in Poland tomorrow night. Munich, Germany on Saturday. Cologne, Germany on Sunday. Amsterdam on Monday, Brussels on the 26th, then they're doing they're doing arenas in Manchester on the 28th, Leeds on the 29th, Birmingham on December 1st, and the famous Wembley Arena in London on December 2nd, Glasgow on the 4th, and they wrap up their uh, European tour on December 6th in Reykjavik, Iceland. All of these shows are arena shows. Slash is back on top again after all these years. And once again, if you haven't already checked out Slash's new record, World on Fire, with Miles Kennedy Conspirators, you need to. It's his best work since Use Your Illusion. And I have every Slash record ever, I'm telling you. Best stuff since GNR. And you know the best place to get it, right? Yes, you do. The talk is Jericho Amazon link. Easiest way to support the show. You know where to find my links by now, right? You know what I'm going to say. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page then click on talk is jericho you'll see all three of my amazon links uk usa and canada a every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we keep doing this for you for free twice a week 
There are no extra fees or hidden charges. If you're just getting your shopping done, you're going to have to get some shopping done because it's Christmas time, baby. You're going to help me out and this show in the process. All right, that's it. Another fun-filled edition of Talk is Jericho. I'm going to see you on Friday, but in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. Friday is part two with Slash. Don't you dare miss it. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 